Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby, real, family-friendly and positive. Get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. Now, tonight we are joined by a special co-host, Mitch Evans from Rugby Fixation and a, a very happy Queensland Reds fan this week. So welcome, Mitch, and thanks for joining us for this week's episode. Thanks very much for having me on. Um, happy Reds fan is very accurate, but just also a very relieved Reds fan, I think I'd say <laughs> as well. So it's good to be on and be able to chat about the games because uh, it was a very tight weekend all around. Now, I've got you on tonight, Rev, um, to back me up a little bit. Now, I'm starting to become a bit of a Reds fan this year, and I'm very happy with the performance over the weekend. But Ando, as we were texting through the game, was very much supporting the Brumbies. So I just needed <laughs> someone to come on, back me up for that last sort of 30 seconds where it went a little bit little bit loose, little few things here and there. So we just need to overpower Ando this week and just say how good the Reds were. Mate, that's the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. <laughs> um, firstly, I wanted the Reds to win this game. And secondly, they only just snuck through with the actual win. Liam Wright should have got carded for that hands in a ruck right at the end. And it should have been a penalty to the Brumbies. No, and then no. finally, I don't even care that much. <laughs> I don't know why you're saying. Anyway, whatever. Who cares? Let's move on. <laughs> All right, so tonight we are going to uh, we'll stick to our normal um, our normal sort of setup. So we'll do spicy news first, then we'll look at our review of round eight. Then the locker room will answer some of your fan questions before we preview round nine. So Ando, do you want to quickly run us through our social media platforms? Yeah, I do. And in a moment, I'll throw to you in a moment, Rev, to pump up yourself or promote yourself. So get ready for this. Instagram, hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Facebook, pick and drive rugby podcast. And then Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Rev, where can people find you? Uh, we're doing most of our socials through Twitter. So if you've got a Twitter account, head to at uh, rugby fixation. If you've got Instagram, we do have an account on there, but really um, that's just to follow player injuries and stuff. So yeah, Please feel free to get in touch on Twitter. Love to chat rugby 24-7. Brilliant. Now, the one thing I wanted to mention before Mitch jumps back across the Super Brew yellow cap is um, we, we really needed somebody on Waratahs fan. Mitch claims that he's a Reds fan, but he's just jumping on the bandwagon, really. Um, <laughs> we, we've received a challenge from someone on Twitter to not talk about the Waratahs. So we're going to see how well we can do. I mean, I'm wearing a Waratahs jumper right now, so we'll see if we can stay away from the Waratahs chat and how long it takes us to bring them up aside from this mention. Are there, kind of, are there spe- specifications around that? Because it's going to no. be pretty hard to not talk about the Waratahs when we get to our round nine preview. Oh, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> the force versus the blank in a great... <laughs> we'll just talk the force up. We'll just we'll just go full hard on the force for that one. A lot of the West Coast fans would love that. They would. They would. Um, so it's been a big week in the tipping comp. So big shout out to Reedy, or Reedy, yeah, Reedy who took out the other cap this week, um, pipped me by half a point. So well done. I was um, hoping to take out the yellow cap for this week, but... I want to get one. I just want to get one by the end of the competition. And or I have to get at least one yellow cap. Otherwise, we just lose all credibility. Mate, um, we lost that a long time ago. So don't worry. We did. You're right. You're right. Um, but yeah, well done, Reedy. Took out the yellow cap this week. 
Um, and we've had some movement in the table. So Hair Red is still sitting nice and smug on top spot, but Liquor Box has jumped up three spots into second place. So the top three as it sits right now is Hair Red on first, Liquor Box on second, and Hoppy 088 on third. Things are getting very tight as we get into the rest of the season. So it's very exciting. Make sure you're doing your picks and, um, yeah, get, get amongst it. All right. Should we jump on into the spicy news? Let's go. Let's go. All right, team, we're moving now to the spicy news. And before we get onto the domestic and any international news scene, we actually wanted to start things off by chatting a little bit about our experiences at some of the games that we've been at over the weekend. Now, all three of us have had different experiences at different games. Mitch Evans or Rev went, was able to be at the Reds match. Mitch Foster went to an NRL match. Um, I think it was Raiders versus someone who'll talk about that in a sec. And then I got to go out to country rugby in northern New south wales and we just wanted to talk about the different experiences that we had and any reflections that that could contribute to the aussie rugby scene mitch e rev why don't you start off with your experience at the reds match um the reds match was unreal to get to and i think one of the best things about it was seeing all the chatter online afterwards about how big the crowd was because the figure came in just short of twenty thousand, but it was so loud and was so vocal in there that I really thought it was well past that. Um, it was really a sea of red the whole way through. And the good thing about that was it was a mix of old and young fans. There was a lot of kids there, but there was also a lot of the, I guess, rusted on fans that might have been there for the last 20 years who were finally able to go back and cheer on for a team that's consistently winning and looking quite dominant. So that was an unreal uh, performance from the Reds. And I think one of the things that's going to make them, I guess, favourites for the final is just, that Suncorp atmosphere is so hard to win in. Yeah, fantastic. And I think one of the things that I noticed from watching the game at home uh, was just the stuff that the Queensland rugby were doing that wasn't necessarily about the rugby. So they brought in a band to play at halftime to give some entertainment to the crowd. They, uh, they had some fireworks going off. Like It looked like it was fun to be there as a fan. You, even if you're not there for the rugby, if you're like a mum or a, a hey, brother hey, who was hey. brought along or whatever, whoever, whoever's there. Um, it looked like it was a fun atmosphere to be a part of, even if you're not there just for the, the spectacle of the game. And, and that's probably the thing they've had to work the hardest on is because the games have, for the most part, always been of a pretty high quality if you're a rugby fan. But for the people that, you know, are just looking for a fun night out or, you know, something where to stop on the way to, you know, Caxton Street, it's nice to be able to have that entertainment factor. And having the band there was a nice touch. Um the nicest thing, I guess, as we're coming into winter is just every time there's a point scored, they have these, um, I guess, flamethrowers sort of go yeah. off. And, geez, it's nice when it's uh, getting colder. But <laughs> we were pretty lucky to be stationed right behind one, so we had a great time. But, um, yeah, I mean, the crowd at Suncorp is always getting behind the team. The problem was it was well under 10,000 for such a long time uh, because of performances and then because of COVID. So to see that number coming closer to 20,000, surely – around that 30,000 mark or above you'd hope for the final is a great sign for the game. Yeah, and that's what you would be hoping and really expecting because I've been to Suncorp twice and it's just one of the best stadiums in Australia to go to for sport. That and the MCG, in my mind, are the top two stadiums in Australia for uh, football or soccer or rugby or soccer. So it's it's just heaps of fun and I can't wait to see what the crowds are like come the final. Uh, Mitch, talk to us about your NRL experience over the weekend. Yeah, so my brother's a keen Canberra Raiders fan. He talked me into taking him out to the Penrith Panthers and the Raiders game on Friday night. Um, it was sold out. So the Raiders, 
the Raiders are in the top eight and the Panther Panthers are currently coming first. So it was a big game for them, for both teams. Um, and the crowd was there for that. But I was just really surprised and taken back by how much um, they had put into making the whole night and experience for the whole family. So obviously there was a lot of people there that are there for the rugby or the, the NRL, but from the minute that you walked in the gates, you could just feel this. Um, it was just like a, an atmosphere of excitement. The people were looking forward to the game. They had food stalls set up a food truck, sorry, set up. They had rides for kids to play on. Um, they had fireworks going off. They had like laser shows. It was just absolutely completely different to what we experienced going to the rugby particularly this year but also the last probably four or five years going to the rugby where you kind of show up on match day you go through the stalls you find your seat and you might see a few other rugby fans around but that's kind of it there's no atmosphere there's no excitement um so yeah it was just it was a really stark contrast to see where the Waratahs currently are and the effort that the Waratahs are really putting into the, the match day experience for fans and where the NRL is really kicking goals. And they've already got that inroad into the community there, but they're putting in more effort to actually make it an experience for everyone that's going to the game, not just the diehard rugby fans, which is something that the Waratahs particularly haven't done well for the last few years. And I think that speaks to one of the big issues in Aussie rugby at the moment is a lot of our games are played in stadiums which aren't appropriate for the scale of what Aussie rugby is. So when you and I went out to Homebush to watch, um, oh my gosh, Mental Bank, who was playing the Warriors the Reds. at Homebush? The Reds, of course. We went out there. I mean, that's a stadium with 84,000, capacity of like 84,000. And there were maybe, what, 5,000 people, if that, if at, the that yeah. most, at the absolute most there. So you're having 78,000 empty seats within a stadium. How the heck are you going to get any type of atmosphere when there's just acres between you and the next person? And so I think that there needs to be this reality check amongst the RA administration where they just go, well, there's no point. There's absolutely no point paying this, these prices or making people go to these massive stadiums when you just don't get the crowd. There's a thing. I've, there's some com conversations I've been having on Twitter with a few people lately around where corporate New South Wales rugby currently sits. And for me, they've basically given up on the fan side of things. They don't want to engage with the fans anymore, particularly this year, I feel like. Um, and for now, it seems like they're just committing their obligations to the corporate side. So making sure their sponsors are happy and the um, hospitality, like the boxes and the different corporates, people that can come and buy hospitality packages in the stadium. That seems to me to be their only um, priority at the moment, why they're going to grounds like the SCG or ANZ, because they have those corporate facilities. When you look up and you see those boxes, they're not full, but there are lo there's a lot more people in corporate boxes than there are sitting in the, in the stands. And it's just something I've been thinking of, it'd be great to go to the Waratahs games like something they did in sort of 2013, 2014, which I think was something that Checker was very instrumental in, in that you would be arriving to the games and the players or the extended squad who weren't playing that day would be at the front of the stadium, greeting fans and engaging yeah. with yep. people. Yep. And you don't see that anymore. So those players are now in suits, but they're up talking to the corporate sponsors. They're not engaging with the fans anymore. One of my best memories as a Waratahs fan was about 2012, showing up to um, the SFS at the time and Tatafi Pilotanao was injured, but he was out the front taking photos and um, 
and signing autographs with people. And I walked up and just said, Taff, mate, you're like, you're my favorite player at the moment. And he just gave me this massive bear hug. And it was so <laughs> cool. Um, uh, how that there was just, there was no, there was no boundary there. Like he was just in amongst the, the crowd, taking photos, saying hi to everyone. And you don't see that anymore. You don't, there's no engagement from the Waratahs whatsoever at the moment. Yeah. Look, I think um, I just want to put it out there before we move on. Uh, I would love to go to one of those corporate boxes. I've never been to one. So any <laughs> listeners, and if you've got connections, hit us up. Thank you. I'd be very keen. Now, um, we need to keep moving, obviously, because we still haven't even spoken about the news yet. But I just want to talk about my experience in country rugby. So I'm currently on holiday in uh, northern New South Wales and got to head out to a uh, country rugby match between Richmond Rangers and the Grafton Redmen held at Malangani. If you want to know where Melangany is, go to Lismore and go about an hour west from Lismore. And that's Melangany. And um, we went out there for a really odd connection. But basically, um, if you guys remember Alex Gibbon, who played for the Australian Sevens team back in kind of 13, 14, 15, um, had a couple of games, of the, three games of the Queensland Reds and played for um, New South Wales Country Eagles back in the old... Um, NRC. Yeah. So he he's the president of the Richmond Rangers and has basically built it from the ground up. And I happened to be up here on holiday, found out about this, and we went out to the game. Oh, my God, it was so much fun. <laughs> Seriously. The rugby was willing on an incredibly muddy and sodden pitch. Um, you had the beautiful variety of body shapes that you get within amateur rugby where you have a few people who keep take care of themselves and you have the reserve prop that's wider than he is tall. <laughs> um, and you had the, the referee was actually pretty good and knew what he was doing, but you had the touchies who were just locals that obviously said, oh, yeah, we'll tell you if it goes down or not and had a tinny in one hand, no shoes yeah. on. And we're just running, well, not running, just walking up and down the sideline. Walking the line. <laughs> yeah, it was, oh, it was just salt of the earth rugby. And then after the game, the uh, home team takes a, um, takes a bunch of tinnies into the opposition's changing rooms, have a drink together, have a good old meat raffle. Uh, it was just so much fun. So I encourage anybody, make an effort to be getting to your local rugby. Uh, I'm going to be doing it every time I possibly can when on holidays. It was just, everybody was so welcoming. It was so heartwarming just to see how much passion and enthusiasm there was for rugby out at Melangany. So thank you so much, Richmond Rangers. Thank you, Alex Gibbon, and thank you, Grafton Redman. Um, in the end, Richmond Rangers won by lots to not much because nobody <laughs> knew what the score was. Even even the captain, Alex Gibbon, didn't know what the score was at the end of the game, just said he'd won. So <laughs> didn't have a scoreboard? No. Nah. Good old good old fashioned rugby. Yeah, yeah. The uh, clubhouse was an uh, old shearing shed. <laughs> That's so good. That's it so was good. great. Okay, why don't we move on to the domestic rugby? Um, look, everybody should know by now, if you're a rugby fan, you've been following Stan, that they have kicked off the club rugby competition this weekend in New South Wales and Queensland. You've had the coverage on Stan Sports of the Hospital Cup up in Queensland and Shoot Shield down in New South Wales. We'll go through the results in a minute. Um, the other pieces of news before we... Actually, no, let's go to the results right now. Rev, why don't we bring you in, mate? How did the Hospital Cup matches turn out? Uh, Hospital Cup matches were actually quite close across the board, and I was quite lucky enough to get to the East match, which, as you say, like the games outside of professional just have such an awesome atmosphere at every single one. But uh, East for last year's premiers went down 24-17 to Sunnybank. Uh, Bond University had the home match against Norths and won 34-21. Uh, University of Queensland beat Brothers 31-19, which was probably the match of the round, and then Jeeps beat Souths 29-11. 
Awesome. Thanks for that. Uh, Mitch, why don't you take us through the Shoot Shield results? Okie dokie. So the game of the round was down in Manly where Manly hosted Gordon. Gordon last year's premiers came away with definitely with the chocolates and much, much else. Um, Final score was 78 to 10. Sydney Uni took it out against uh, Hunter Wildfires, 56-24. Eastern Suburbs took it out against... Uh, Southern District, 17-14. West Harbour got beaten at home against Randwick, 52-17. North put a lot of points on um, Penrith, unfortunately, 73-0. And Eastwood beat Western Sydney, two blues, or Parramatta, 59-19. Awesome. Thank you for that. Don't forget you can get all the coverage of that on Stan Sports. They've got both the highlights and a minis package and the full game. So I highly recommend you uh, getting out to watch as much of that as possible. I just um, wanted to say before we moved off this, did you guys get a chance to watch any of the Stan Sport coverage of these games? Rev? Uh, I would have watched the East one uh, recorded, but because I was able to get to that one live, I yeah. didn't. I did watch a... Uh, I guess it was the first half of the um, Universe Brothers game before and you know, swapping back to the Reds versus Brumbies just to relive that sweet, sweet victory <laughs> one more time. Uh, but everything looked really good. Like there was not a lot of rust on these teams and probably the big surprise was how good the defense was. That's only, I guess, the thing that's a little bit shaky. Teams are pretty keen to like throw it around as much as they can. But um, from the one and a half games I saw of those four, the attack was you know solid, but the defense was really good. Brilliant. Well, I didn't get to see any of it because, like I mentioned, I'm away on holidays. So even getting to watch the two Super Rugby games on a weekend was a battle to get time out. But that was okay. Um, I thought I might chuck to Hugh Tyndall uh, on Twitter who asked us a question which is more appropriate now than in a locker room. Mm-hmm. So did we check out the shooter of the hospital? Thoughts? Personally, I'd love a, say, 20 or 30-minute package of the weekend highlights for each comp. As much as I'd like, as much as I'd like to, I can't watch all the games. So a solid extended highlights package with a voiceover telling stories of the round would be great now i forwarded that on to benny kimber and a couple of the other stand sports people who gave us a great gift in return and it seems like this will be happening in the future we just need to be patient so that's pretty exciting that there will be an opportunity for those of us who maybe are a bit busy and can't watch more than two games on a weekend which would be pretty hard to do really um so that that'll be pretty exciting that should be coming our way somewhat soon i imagine we might see something on rugby heaven tomorrow night um mm-hmm. maybe like an overview of the round and some highlights and those kind of things i feel like that would slot quite well into that platform see all right now the other two main points um rugby australia has launched a new rugby coaching curriculum which you can get on a rugby AU website um the reason i mentioned this is because um i am a coach of my son's football team his soccer team he's it's a five-year-old team Ooh, it's nothing soccer. amazing but if i can get them all running literally in the right direction and not scoring on goals then that's a win for me um get them to the pick thing, the ball up mate the thing that they can the uh the oh crap what is it Soccer Australia, Football Australia, um, have is they, you can go onto their website and download a full coaching plan for an entire season for whatever age group you're coaching. For free? for, yeah, yes, of course, for free, because they want quality coaches at the junior levels to create quality players wow. up, up the system. And there hasn't been this for rugby 
from what I've seen in the past. So what Rugby Australia has done is launched a pretty comprehensive curriculum with supporting videos and explanatory videos for coaches and players to be improving on. And it's quite comprehensive. I was going through it this afternoon. So I really encourage anybody, particularly if you are involved in coaching rugby at whatever level to go through and check that information out. It is really, really insightful and really great. I think um, I'm personally looking forward to trying doing a bit of kind of school level coaching or assistant coaching down a track. Um, and this will be a great resource for it. Now, the other point that we wanted to mention on domestic scene before we move on is Reese Hodges injury. So he has done his MCL in the final kick of the game against the force. And he's going to be out for around about three months. He should be back in time for the July tests. Mitch, anything you want to say on either of those two points quickly? Um, the first one, exciting, good. It's a step in the right direction. It's really good uh, around the, the rugby coaching curriculum. I will say, having done my referee pathway system through New South Wales Rugby, um, and I know that the Rugby Australia has a similar pathway for the coaches, they do go through a lot of depth around the rules and, and how to coach and that kind of thing through that. So there was things in the past, but this is a, a new platform that sound, looks amazing and, and it's shiny and new. So definitely moving in the right direction. And um, yeah, it, I'm really worried around Reese Hodges injury just for the la- the last two rounds for the Rebels. Um I think they're gonna really suffer without Reese Hodge in their back line now. And it's they're it's Tamu was probably the player they can't afford to lose the most, but Reese Hodge was a second for me. So I think they're gonna struggle in these last two games without him. All right, and then let's move on to the international scene. Now, uh, a couple of points of international news before we finish up. Firstly, the Rainbow Cup over in England has been had the South African teams cut. Uh, they're no longer a part of that competition, which has a big impact on the Lions tour preparations. Uh, on that point, there's no further developments. Uh, the tour is still scheduled for the same times and dates for the international matches, but there's been no announcement about whether it's... Um, having a change of location or anything. So like have those that. South African teams actually been cut from that comp? Because it has completely confirmed that they're not going ahead now? It's pretty much all but settled. I think the big issue was that they were supposed to be stationed in Bristol yeah. and England had a pretty big issue with hosting all the South Africans because of mm-hmm. obviously the COVID restrictions in England have improved a fair bit enough to lift the lockdown. But in South Africa, they're still not really under control. So I think they're very skeptical about allowing it. So at the moment, it's looking canned. Um, it'd be a small miracle for them to get any games against non-South African opponents before the Lions do. But could they not host them somewhere else? Like not was, in England? They were really trying to keep them out of England for as long as possible. So the first yeah. three rounds of the Rainbow Cup was all going to be played in South Africa for the SA teams. Yeah. So they weren't actually going to get diverse any of the uh, English, Irish, French, or anything like that um, until quite late in the comp. Um, so I think just with no real scene improvement, they just thought, well... Instead of putting it off, let's just cut it before it starts. Wow. it's That's got huge ramifications for, for South African rugby. These players, like they've played their Super Rugby Unlocked last year. They're doing something similar this year. Do you know, Reef? They, they merged that into the Curry Cup last year. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of the end of 2020 and the start of 2021. And the Bulls, uh, they were really successful through all that. So they, they've had a lot of game time, but they just haven't versed non-South African teams. Yeah. And, so the issue is they're going to look at doing that again. Um, but really all it means is these South African players have only versed, you know, the same five other teams or same six other teams in the last year. It'll be all the European players have probably had the most exposure, but they haven't had any with other South Africans other than the sale team. So it's going to be interesting to see how 
they gel together because even the Lions, they've got a test against Japan. They're going to be more, I guess, drilled and more of a team than the Springboks, yeah, which is never the case. And does this put... Um, I'm sorry to hijack this. Set. I'm just quite interested to get Rev's thoughts on this while we've got him. Um, does this put doubt on whether the European-based South African players will be able to return to, to face the Lions, potentially? That's, I think that's been the one thing that they've been really uh, consistent with is that they will be able to get back over there. Um, all the clubs are happy for them to be released, so they might have, I guess, a slight delay in getting back to Europe. But, okay. um, yeah, it definitely seems like South Africa will have full access to their overseas players. Yeah, because it would be a shame not to see Faf de Klerk go up against the Lions at the moment. Yeah, well, he's he's had a really unreal season with Sale, and I think some of the games there, they just got knocked out of the um, Champions Cup, but they, they've been a really competitive team throughout all that. Yeah, all right, lads, I'm going to I'm gonna take the power back and say, <laughs> let's move on. Let's stop this chat about yes, the sir. international scene. And thank you. Thank you very much. Respect my authority. And we're <laughs> going to move now into the round eight review. So let's go. <laughs> All right, now is our chance to talk some rugby. So let's have a look at the table where things currently sit after the last round over the weekend. So the Reds sitting nice and firmly in first spot on 32 points. The Brummies in second spot on 25 points. The Rebels in third spot. Uh, only just on 11 points. Western Force on fourth spot with 10 points and the Waratahs down the bottom with two spots, but we won't talk any more about the Waratahs. Um, <laughs> the first game of the round saw the Rebels hosting the Western Force down at Amy Park on Friday night. The final score was 16-15 to the Western Force, which I am was very happy to see because I boldly went with the Western Force last week in my prediction and it paid off very nicely in the tipping this week. So I'm happy about that, but a bit of a topsy-turvy game. So let's dive in some of the stats. So there was one try scored in this game, one try to the Western Force, no tries to the Rebels. The Rebels took five penalty goals. The Western Force took three. Um, The Rebels had 65% possession with 70% territory. Now, that is a massive stat considering that they ultimately came away losing the game. The the Western uh, sorry, the Rebels had f- made 426 meters with the ball. The Western Force made 280. The Rebels beat 24 defenders for seven clean breaks. The Western Force beat nine defenders for three clean breaks. And if we look at the set piece, pretty consistent. Both teams getting 100% of their own scrums. Lineout was a bit off for both teams. 75% accuracy for the Rebels, 58% for the Force. So that was one issue that both teams really seemed to struggle with. And penalty count, 10 to the Rebels and 13 to the Western Force. Look, when we track through all those, we see a game that the stats say should have been won by the Rebels. So the first question I had for us, and I might throw to you first, Rev, have the Rebels actually regressed or gotten worse as the season has continued? This one was probably the most interesting part of the game was looking at the Rebels' attack because I think what they've done is they've actually strayed from what they're good at. So to answer the question, yes, they've regressed because those first two games, they didn't have the strongest team, so they relied on a defensive game and then just kicking the points when they were on offer. And in this game, we saw that, you know, they had every attacking stat, but they were so inefficient with the ball in hand. They're just Mm -hmm. not really set up as an attacking team. Like when you look at their back row, they're all really flankers. There's no big body. Um, Pony Farmer Sturley is massive. He only ran the ball a few times, and their backs just didn't really get much, you know, effective from football. Um, Hodge and Lamani ran 12 times each, but together they only just got 50 metres. 
So it, it was just really ineffective running. I think they're strained from that because they want to be attacking, but they just got to stick to defense because they're a better team without the ball. I 100% agree with that. The The thing that they did so well, like you just said, was play that pragmatic game that worked to their strengths. And although Michael Wells has had some really good moments this season, he's not that line-bending number eight that you might get at times from CJ Stender or from Izzy Nicerani. And I think they're just missing Nicerani actually being back and fit. I think if he was in this team at number eight, then things could well be different for them in the attacking sense. One of the things I really noticed was um, Tamua's 10 tendency to be throwing those really wide Hail Mary cutout passes, particularly when he was getting pressured and they just didn't have the numbers out wide to make it even worth it. It wasn't on. So he's just trying to fling this ball with a bit of a uh, throw and hope. And to me, that just cries out a lack of structure and a lack of clear attacking game plan, particularly off counter-attack ball. I thought that they were really poor on the few times that they did get turnover ball against the force. They weren't able to capitalize and actually exploit those opportunities well. Mitch? Yeah, I um yeah, I would agree. I, I would say that they have regressed a little bit. And I wonder if that is due to kind of the pressure that's put on them to score tries. Now they were quite effective in the first few rounds, particularly the first two games against the Brumbies and the Reds, in just staying in the game by applying scoreboard pressure. But it came out in sort of the media or from their own fans that we, it's great that you're sticking with the opposition, but we want to see tries. And so I wonder if that inability to actually score tries and it's starting to leak mentally into their game that they are now not backing themselves to score the points uh, through the tries. Um, it's starting maybe it's making me think that that might be the reason that they're starting to doubt themselves when they get into the 22 and they're starting to sort of shift away from that game plan that was working so well for them earlier in the season. And they're not quite um, as potent anymore. They don't look like they've got that intense, like they did in the first few games to get in the opposition half and just kick the points. They kind of, they go for the try every now and then it doesn't come off. So they end up wasting possession. And then by that point, they end up either, not in this instance, they weren't chasing the game, but they weren't able to apply that scoreboard pressure and really sort of ex extend ascendancy over the Western force. And that's what ultimately let them in the end of the game to, to come back and score that try and, and take the, the victory. I think one of the big things that both of these teams, the Force and the Rebels, pride themselves on is their defensive integrity and the spoiling of opposition attack. So, I, and I don't mean what I'm about to say in a really negative way, but I feel like often the Force and the Rebels stop opposition teams from playing a free-flowing attacking game and drag it into like a bar fight brawl kind of situation. <laughs> and that is what I think the Rebels did very, very well earlier in the season. But, I mean, when you look at the fact that this game, uh, the previous six games had been decided by five points or less which is just crazy. And this game was decided by one point as well. So it just shows you how tight these encounters are. I personally really enjoyed the Rebels' approach of playing pragmatic rugby earlier in the season. And I think that they have actually gotten worse as they've moved away from this. Rev, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, they're, they're really trying to push it. And it's, like you said, the fans want tries. And I think it's a bit of a misnarrative. You can have a great game without any tries being scored especially if you are getting the wins. And they were so close to doing that at the start of the season. 
And I think one of the things that stood out the most was someone brought to my attention that Corbetti hasn't scored a try this season, which what? is crazy because he's been their best attacking player and I'd still have him as the Wallabies winger. But when you think about it, the core job of a winger, I guess, is to create, you know, those massive line breaks and, you know, hopefully score tries. So it is funny that the player we deem the best winger in, you know, Australian rugby at the moment hasn't actually scored, but that hasn't been an issue for the Rebels. I don't think they need to try and give him the ball more to score. He's doing a great job regardless. You know, they have a solid game plan. The issue is, I think they haven't bounced back from the injuries they've got. Like their mm. season relied on having Dane Haylett Petty so they could put Hodge where they wanted him to because Haylett Petty is a much better attacking fullback. Mm. And then they don't have any lock depth. Like this week, they had Rob Liotta thrown in there, but he isn't really a lock. Like he wasn't helping out with the lineouts at all. He was really ineffective with his carries. And I guess the whole role, if you're going to have another back rower in there, is you want to be really defensive. But they had, what was it, 65% of the ball? Like they weren't running with the ball. So the, he didn't actually serve a purpose. Look, I think uh, we, we've spoken about the Rebels and the failures that they've had enough, but let's switch the narrative a bit to the Force. So congratulations to the Force with a win away from home in any competition. That's fantastic. So very well done. And it was a much needed win for them. I think they need a bonus point win in the next match to give themselves a chance of getting through to that third spot final position. But... Can I start with you, Mitch? What are some of the strengths that they have and what are some of the areas for improvement for the force, in your opinion? I like their forward pack. I think their forward pack is quite effective. Um, I really like the look of Tim Ancy when he came on, obviously, and he scored that try. But it wasn't just him that scored that. It was it was a whole forward. It was the pressure that they were able to apply to the Rebels and to, to maul it over. So, um, overall, yeah, I'm really enjoying their forward pack. I think their back line still is having some issues gelling and, and getting that cohesion because they've changed their centre combination and their, their backs so much this season. They haven't really given their players the time to gel together. I mean, this is the first time we've seen Jordan Aloha Fella play um, the, first, the second week we saw Kubeli and Miotti playing together. Um, Kyle Godwin's back in 12, in the centres this week as well. And then they lost R- Brian Ralston in the first 20 minutes. So their back line's a little bit all over the place, but their forward pack is relatively consistent. And I think that that's set a good um, base for them to be able to hang in games, apply some dominance there, and, um, yeah, really hang in teams. What I was really liking about the Western Force was their ability to disrupt the ball at the breakdown. Um, and that's something they've been really good at in the last few weeks is just really slowing the ball opposition ball down and just making it a nuisance for them to be able to get clean ball for themselves. And that was something that Joe Powell was struggling, struggling with a little bit early on. Um, and it really started to show as it sort of the game wore on. Rev? I think this was a really good example of the force showing that they're a smart team because their last game was against the Brumbies where, I mean, they got Hammond on the scoreboard 42 to 14, but the second half was pretty close. And a lot of the, I guess, dominance came from Henry Taifu, who was a bit of a shock drop. Um, but then they showed that, you know, that was intentional. It was really clever because they brought in Kyle Godwin, who, you know, was the captain as well. And he did such a solid performance in the centers. Like he made 18 from 18 tackles, which is, you know, open side flanker levels. But he also mixed that really well with a passing game as a second playmaker, but also running the ball a little bit as well. Like he had, I think, as many carries as Kurandrani and even beat a few defenders um, they just did a really good job of making sure that if we're going to defend all game, we've got the forwards that can do that. We've got experienced heads around us. The Rebels really actually played into what the Force are great at, which is just 
all that tough nitty gritty stuff. As you said before, the bar fight. So um, the force are showing that they can mix it with the better teams. They've got the experience too. It's just if they can combine all that to get the perfect game together. Um, and that'll really hinge on, again, like you've said, uh, getting the backline job. They need to settle on what their best backline is because at the moment it's all over the place. And I think it's crazy that we are currently talking about the round eight matches and we're still saying that they need to settle on their best backline. Uh, that's just been the issue that I've had with the changes that have been made at the force the entire season is I, I don't think you should always just pick and stick and stick with people regardless of form. But the fact that they've had three starting five halves in, what, seven matches because they've had the bye, that, that's just crazy to me. How are you going to have any combinations of continuity when you're chopping and changing so much? Um, so I think that's the main thing that they need to be improving on. Their forward pack, like we both mentioned, is just dominant. Well, not dominant, sorry. They are, they are strong. They're not they Queensland dominant. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Mate, can you just like burn you all of your blue clothes? What the <laughs> hell has happened to you? Anyway. I'm not anyway. allowed to talk about them. We'll have our. I haven't yeah, said anything. I didn't say the team name. I exactly, me either. I said I, I said them. Yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say on that point, Ando. Um, it's almost like uh, the force don't actually know who their best ten and and center combination is yet. Like they keep chip chopping and changing. Whether oh well, we'll slot Miotti in there, or you know, we'll we'll try this, we'll try that, and they they keep changing it because it's like they're trying to look for something else. Um, and we're, we're that late in the competition now that they can't do that anymore. So, as you said, they really just need to pick and stick at this point and, and get that consistently going into these last few rounds. Agreed. Okay, we're going to shift to the honourable mentions now. So, for those of you dear listeners who don't know what this is, basically, we get to choose one person that we want to mention generally for a positive uh, within the match and we try not to double up. So, Rev, as a guest, you can go first. Thank you very much. Um, for me, I thought the player that stood out the most was Joe Powell. I just thought... He was everywhere. He was trying to spark stuff. Um, you know, whenever he got the opportunity, he passed the ball, I think, nearly three times more than his opposite, Kubelli. Like, there was just so much intent there. And he was doing everything Ken. Um, but, yeah, I think he was let down a little bit by Tamua and Hodge with their running and playmaking abilities. But for me, Joe Powell really had a uh, standout performance. All right, Mitch. Um, I actually haven't decided on anyone yet. Oh, come on. <laughs> you Get go prepared. first. You go first. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm going to say Lewis Holland or Louis Holland. He, um, he was fantastic. I really enjoyed the physicality he brought to um, the ruck. So seeing a 12 being so confident getting over the ball and forcing a couple of turnovers was fantastic. His distribution game was really strong and his ability to just reload so super quickly from a tackle is just clear evidence of what the sevens game can bring bring or sevens experience can bring to the 15 man game so really really impressive first start for him congratulations and looking forward to seeing more of him i'm gonna go with jordan oloa fela um is that yeah is that how do i am i saying it correctly yeah oloa fela yeah nice so he only made six runs this game but he made 44 meters so he was one of the higher run uh run meters for the back line for the force he's a relatively young guy we didn't know what to expect from him and i I noticed him a few times when I was watching the game. So um, I was quite impressed with him. So I'll, I'll give him as my honorable mention this week. 
Yeah, he's a good player. He's from Tigers and Pritchard, Leicester Tigers and Pritchard. Yeah, Leicester. And um, he came over pretty highly rated. So he's he's done well so far with the few starts that he's had. Uh, are we good to move over to the Reds and Brumbies well, now? Well, we've got one question that's come in to the locker room this week that's specifically around the Rebels. So I thought we'd, um, we'd answer that now before we move on. Go for it. Um, it comes to us from Lewis White, and he asks, with the Rebels list, should they be doing better? Vessels has had time and opportunity to get it right. Same issues continue to plague us. If we, if he was coaching Queensland, New South Wales, or ACT, he'd have been moved on by now for consistently mediocre results. Yeah, look, this is Big something words. we spoke to during the off-season at the end of the 2020 Super AU season. Um, Mitch, you were particularly vehement about this and we were very much of the same opinion that Lewis is sharing now. Why don't I let you speak to it first and then we'll hear from you, Rev. Yeah, so what I said last year or in the beginning of this year is that Vessels basically has a Wallaby's punching back line. He's got Cora Betty in there, Matt Tamua, Reese Hodge, and with the potential of having Dane Haler Petty as well. That's a pretty juicy back line that's got some real experience. Other teams would love to have that, but they just haven't consistently, in, well, not even, even proved, but they just haven't consistently performed. And these guys have been in this team for the last sort of three or four years playing together. We would be expecting them to be putting in good performances and they're not always doing that. And so you need to ask what, why is that? They're not bad players. They can come together and play for the Wallabies and perform really, really well. So it comes down to the coaching and this was the year that Vessels had to stand up and really put his stamp on this team. He's been there for a few years now and they made the finals last year, but they didn't really put in a great performance when they were in the finals and ended up being getting kicked out quite convincingly. So they really needed to stamp their, make a, a real statement this year that first of all, Vessels is worthy of being the coach, but these players are at the required level to be pushing for higher honours. And at the moment, we're not seeing that. They really should have taken this game, being that they were in third spot currently still are but they've opened the door now for the the western force to jump over them and they may end up missing out on the finals because of this they should be doing a lot better than they are rev it's pretty tough because i think in the 2018 and 2019 season i thought they should have done a lot better than they did and i was really disappointed that they didn't make the finals either of those years because they should have like they had the team on paper to do it it was probably the end of 2019 where i thought okay Vessel should probably go if he can't get it with that team. I'm pretty sympathetic this year because I think his team is so much worse on paper than it was at the start of the year. Like, he is missing his best loose head prop. Cameron Orr hasn't played a game this year. He was missing his uh, vice-captain, Brad Wilkin, who's only played about 50 minutes this year um, because of injury. Uh, they don't have another lock. They've just had a whole heap of injury woes there with um, Ross Hale at Petty, and I think also Steve Cummins has come in and out. And then with Campbell Magne and Dan Petty getting injured, they've been forced to play a lot of games with two complete newcomers at the wing and fullback. Frank Lamani is now playing on the wing because of another injury to Lockie Anderson. He's not even a winger. <laughs> no, it, it, we've got a scrum half on the wing. And then Stacey Illy, I'd, he's been copying a lot of flack because he's not being a superstar, but he wasn't in the squad. Like he got plucked from ITM Cup Rugby because you know they needed someone to play there, but he wasn't even a part of the original Rebels squad. So I think they've been dealt a pretty crappy hand this year they're still probably the third best team i'd say so i I think it'd be tough to sack him this year but again it is a results-based business so i think if they lose the next two matches then it's pretty likely that he will go yep 
Nothing more I can really add to that, so I'm happy for us to move on. Mitch, are you good to go to the Reds and Brumbies? Yeah, definitely. Let's go. So the, the second game of the week saw the Reds hosting the Brumbies up in Queensland, where, Rev, you were lucky enough to go. This was a nail-biter game, came right down to the final whistle. 24-22 was the final score, and the Reds walked away with the chocolates. Now, they also walked away with a home final and um, some massive, massive bragging rights up against the Brumbies, who have, they haven't been able to beat so far this year. Oh, Brumbies haven't been able to beat them so far this year. Um, if we look at the game and go through some of the key stats, uh, I just need to open it up. I should be prepared, but I'm not. <laughs> um, two tries to the Reds, three tries to the Brumbies, one conversion by the Reds, two conversions by the Brumbies. The Reds took four penalty goals where the Brumbies only took one. Now, if we look at the possession, the Reds had 50% possession with 51% territory. The Brumbies only had 43% possession 49 percent territory um the reds made 344 meters with ball in hand the brumbies made 424 the reds made four clean breaks the brumbies also made four clean breaks the reds beat 28 defenders the brumbies only beat 13 and they both made four offloads scrum was 100 percent success rate for both teams the reds had six scrums the red the brumbies had two um, both teams had 100% accuracy at their lineouts as well. 17 from 17 for the Reds, 8 from 8 for the Brumbies. If we look at the penalties, I think this is a big indication of the game. Eight penalties conceded by the Reds, 15 by the Brumbies. Look, when we check all of those stats, we basically see what was an incredibly even match between two very high-performing teams that battled it out. And the Reds were very, um, I think they were deserving winners. I genuinely think that, but they're also very lucky winners too. Now, before we get into some of those points, I just, we, we need to start and I need to put my Nick McArdle blazer jacket, nice <laughs> open collared shirt and uh, sophisticated glasses on to ask this question. Mitch, are you prepared to say how wrong you were about Jordi Pattaya needing to have a stint in club rugby? He had a fantastic game, and yet you last week said on this pod that he should be sent back to club, club rugby. What say you? I still stick by what I said. <laughs> <laughs> going down, you're a captain going down with the ship, mate. That's well, right. Man. That's right. No, he, he did perform well this week, and that was great, but... He probably needs to perform like this all season. He can't come in and out of games or come out in and out of form like he does. If he he needs to be, he has the potential to be the player kind of like Falau that's going to break games open for his team. He needs, and he's going to be that go-to guy. He needs to find that consistency. Now, yes, this week he did perform very, very well, but he hasn't done that for the last two or three weeks. So it's about that consistency and maybe in the maturity that he's currently possibly lacking um, at this level of rugby. So I still think that he would benefit greatly from going back and playing some club rugby. Um, I just, I wouldn't want him to be selected for the Wallabies and we're coming into a decider against the All Blacks at Eden Park for the Bledisloe and he has an off game and then we end up losing. That's the, the worry that I have for him. He has the potential to be phenomenal like he was this week and have some really good involvement, but he also has the potential to drop a lot of ball and turn over the ball unnecessarily. Um, we need to find that consistency or he needs to find that consistency. Rev, do you think he's stark raving mad? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, when I heard the comments about him playing club rugby, I, I didn't hate it because he's young and he had been making a lot of quite basic mistakes. But I think what we saw from this weekend was that he's a confidence player. 
he had a massive shot on Pete Samu, who was looking like he was going to score for all money, had the yeah, run down the sideline. Second minute of the game or something. It, it was massive. And Patea just lined him up and completely put him off. It was, I think, one of those moments where you just saw him stand up from that tackle. And even though he landed kind of awkwardly, he was so proud. He was so just confident, ready to go on. And we saw a really polished performance from then on. Like He was a freak in attack and defense. And it's probably just leaning to show that he is more of a winger than an outside center at the moment. Mm. I think the way that the Reds structure their game plan, like having him on the wing for those, um, you know, crossfield kicks they were putting up for him. But also he wasn't asked to be a defensive organizer. He was just made to put big yeah. hits on, which is all the winger has to do. So I thought he had an unreal performance. Mate, even speaking to that point about he's not a strong defensive player, uh, if you look at Tom Wright's try in the 54th minute of the game, it comes off Brumby's more advantage. They go wide and Pattaya rushes up um, and he's the second last defender. He's basically playing um, that number 13 role and he's got Hegarty outside of him. Right, And because he rushes up to try and cut off the attack, that forces Hegarty to come up and jam in with him to try and do the umbrella-style defence. And what that allows um, Muirhead to do is just to loft that wide ball over the top of them to right out wide who strolls in untouched. But if they'd actually just drifted and trusted the drifting, the, um, the jockey defence, and they were far enough out from the line to be able to do that, then it would have been able to cover it. So I, I agree, he is a huge confidence player. And I think that having him at winger will just take away those decision points that he has to make if he's one if he's one more inside at 13. Um, I think it would have been better having him on the wing and Hegarty in at that 13 position because Hegarty does sometimes play in there. Yeah. All right. Let's keep going on then. So Rev, I'm going to stick with you, mate, uh, as the unequivocal Reds fan. Mitch claims that he's now a Reds fan, but I just think I'm, he's I'm, a, he's I'm a, a bandwagon. I'm happy to say it. I'm a bandwagon supporter. Mate, that's disgusting. But anyway, let's... No, but I'm on let's... the right bandwagon. I'm on the right team this year. I, I can't get on the Brumbies bandwagon. And I'll, put, I'll say it on the pod because I've been saying it to my friends and family off the air for a long time. And I just don't know what it is, but I'm just not liking the Brumbies in the last few years. And... They were the most successful Australian team for a long while, but I just can't support them. I don't know what it is. All right. I really All right. like Come on, come team. on. This isn't about you. This is about I'm the Reds saying. and Mitch. It is <laughs> a Queenslander through and through. I can hear it. <laughs> Good on you, Mitch. <laughs> Mate, he's drinking Forex already. Um, okay. So the Reds rode their luck without a shadow of a doubt. I think there are a bunch of points throughout the game that we can uh, point to where we could say that the Reds definitely got the rub of the green. Um, but despite that, both teams undoubtedly played some incredibly high-quality, high-intensity rugby. It was a fantastic game. Rev, how were you feeling at the end of the final whistle? Were you, were you elated? Did you think you'd got away with a lucky win? Do you think you were fully deserving? Tell us how you were feeling. It was a really interesting one because at the game, obviously, is a very different, uh, different experience to on TV. And so watching it, I was actually quite confident, as were my mates, we were quite confident the whole way through that we were going to come back somehow. Um, I didn't see much of the Liam Wright uh, rock incident until I got home, sort of rewatched it. And yeah, that, that was pretty dubious and it did look like it was going to be a penalty. I mean, Barry had his <laughs> arm out for it. But as you say, like a lot of the time you're playing these sorts of games, you do sort of create your own luck. And there was a few opportunities, I guess, either side from both teams that I thought could have gone either way and would have made quite a big difference. Like even the Bryce Haggerty try, seeing that in person, um, obviously it's quite hard to tell, but three players on the screen. And then when I got home, I didn't see anything that really ruled that out as being a try. And then 
I, I guess some of the penalty discussions, this is going to be the interesting point moving forward is Mikella very clearly in the uh, post-match uh, press conference was not happy. He thought that, you know, the Brumbies had done enough in the scrum to, you know, not lose that many penalties, but also that their maul warranted a bit more. So while the Liam Wright um, play is probably the most talkative bit, I actually think Tupo not getting a yellow card is probably the bigger yep. Yep. area that's, you know, going to be discussed by more people is he did infringe really needlessly. And I think if he had had the early engagement that third time, um, it would have been a yellow. I think he really just scraped away with it because um, instead of engaging there, he, you know, went around the side, which is, you know, still three penalties within two minutes. But the Reds really got lucky with that aspect. Yeah, I think there were a few points where the Reds were both lucky and then hard done by. So I think Wright's hand in a ruck is really cancelled out by that Hegarty supposed no try. Yeah, I mean, if you watch that back in slow-mo, there is no way that Hegarty's hand slaps the ball out of Muirhead's. It's fully in the tackle and Hegarty's hand hits Muirhead's hand. And well, then there's no the intent there, is there? Yeah, exactly. And there's no intent at to, all. To remove the fact that he scored the try, there's no intent for him to slap the ball. He didn't go for a strip. He was just tackling the player. His eyes weren't even looking at the ball. So it's a pretty tough call to make to take away that try scoring opportunity yeah, from the team time. that was dominant at that time. I also just get super frustrated when there are repeat uh, repeat penalties on the defensive line by the defending team, like we saw with Taniela Tupo. But then because the attacking team scores a try, that means that the person who's infringed a third time doesn't get the yellow card. Like that was just stupid. He infringed and the penalty was called. They had advantage. And then he again doesn't get yellow like in my mind he should get yellow carded he's committed the offense that's why the advantage has happened the fact that they score the try okay cool advantage is over they've scored the try but that doesn't change the fact that the penalty was given in the first place i guess there's the question with that though is is the the penalty that is given away was that stopping them scoring a try obviously not yeah. So they still scored the try. They get the reward there. It's a big ask to get to lose a play for 10 minutes and concede a try. Now, it's the same as them giving a yellow card and a penalty try for a cynical play that stops the try being scored. It's In my books, it's a very, it's a very big um, penalty to, for the defending team to take when you've already conceded five or seven points and then you also lose a play for 10 minutes. Yeah. It's massive. Yeah, look, I hear that. I just think it does make sense that if you're given a warning that the next penalty is going to be yellow card, it shouldn't matter that they also score a try off the resulting penalty. Like, well, Nick mind, Berry does be say, so you can hear in the replay, um, I think Nick White comes up to him and says, is he going to go? And he says, no, it's a final warning. And the next time we get down here and they do it again, then a player will go. Yeah, and then so he does it. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. So he does say that to the teams. But I think Nick Berry came into this game expecting it to be um, the top of the table clash, the grand final, you know, state of origin, essentially that kind of level. And I think he was given a directive to, you know, keep keep your hand, keep the cards in the pocket. Let's just let this game flow, because there were so many chances that both teams could have copped cards from repeated infringements, and he just backed off in those instances. Mm. All right. Uh, Rev, why don't we shift across to you and ask a question. Did you have any key moments that you believe shaped this game? I'll touch on that, um, I guess, the Tupo non-yellow again, because that was one of the key moments, mm. only to say that it seemed unfair that the Brumbies would have been better off if Fanger hadn't scored 
Because if he doesn't score, it means there's probably a yellow card, but also a penalty try, which given they lost by two and Lalasio missed that conversion, that would have been a massive swing in the game. So And two posts off for 10 minutes. Yeah, so it, it's a real, like, two massive uh, conveniences there. But I, I think the thing that swung it for me was the Reds very early on made some really clear defensive displays that showed me that they were really in this game to show, you know, they're here to win and that they can beat anyone because that retired tackle on Simon we've spoken about, but um, Tom Wright, he was looking for all money to score. He only had to step past Tupo, but Tupo put this massive shot on that, you know, even though it didn't connect properly, just did enough to unsettle Tom Wright and, you know, sort of tackle him into touch. Um, there were just those moments like that that really showed, you know, this red team, even though they're sort of talked about for their attack, they're a really good defensive unit as well because they've been together for this long. Um, but the biggest issue, or I guess the biggest moment, was Nick Frost in the scrum. So the Brumbies are up 22-21 with about five minutes left, and there's a scrum that the Reds end up getting a penalty from. And Michael Checker did a great job of analysing it um, slightly after it happened because Tupo is pretty renowned for angling in and causing a bit of trouble for the opposing set. <laughs> and while it looked like he was angling in, before that would have eventuated in a penalty, Nick Frost popped out from the back of the scrum. So he didn't have a tight enough bind. It just caused the whole scrum to lose shape. Uh, Pete Sama got injured from it. Uh, the hooker, um, Nottingham, just sort of burst out through the back. So this Reds pressure, um, you can see a really nice while we're still building if you get the right mix of Reds forwards and Brumbies forwards to get that scrum and line-out dominance because that scrum that eventuated in the penalty really was the turning point. And to see the fact that it's the Brumbies having that level of scrum pressure pushed upon put upon them is just incredible. Because, we, I mean, we know that they've had some um, forward, uh, some front row issues and injuries throughout the season, but they basically had their, no, they did have their starting front row back. They had CO back on the bench as well. And you probably would have McInerney on over Lonergan. But Either way, that was a strong Brumbies team, and yet they're still having this level of pressure applied from them by the Reds. I think that's an incredible turnaround to say that the Reds probably have the dominant pack in Super Rugby. That's, I, I think, probably the thing that shocked most people watching it is everyone that I'd spoken to beforehand thought, gee, the Reds only just beat them in Canberra. Uh, the Brumbies now have, you know, Slipper and Alatar back, which they didn't have last time. See, so was only just coming back from injury, so they thought, you know, that's the one area they'll really elevate and show dominance, but didn't really end up being the case. I think the biggest difference they made was Slipper and Alatoa. They're just workhorses. I think between them, they made 25 tackles mm. and didn't miss one. Like they're some of the best players you want to have in your team, but obviously just their extra push at the end. Um, Tupo shows what being 135 kilos can do. <laughs> I think so. I definitely think so. Uh, Mitch, did you have a particular um, key moment that you wanted to speak to? Yeah, I thought, um, like Rev said, the the moment of Taniel Tupo taking um, Tom Wright into touch was uh, really big for me in that it just it showed the Queensland intent that they weren't going to let this Brumbies team uh, off the hook. It kind of was a nice reminder that we're not just gonna we're not rolling over here. We're gonna stay in this contest and we're gonna we're gonna keep, you know, keep contesting the breakdown and keep making big hits and that kind of thing. So um I also, like Rev said, I just was as watching this game, I just had this feeling that the Reds were gonna come good, that they were gonna get the victory at the end there. It was almost like watching um the, uh, the Crusaders or the All Blacks play. You just, I just had this feeling like, well, they'll come good. They, this team, 
they find ways to win. They find ways to score points. So I, I was confident that they were going to get that right at the end there. Um, and I think that's a really, really big testament to this young side. Spoken like a true Queenslander. Good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Rev. Stop, stop trying to convert him. Um, actually, no, you don't need to do anything to convert him. He's a died in a little red supporter now. Uh, <laughs> I think we can just call it. I think we can just call it here. Now, honourable mentions. Let's shift to that. And I want to start this one off. Josh Fluke. What an absolute legend. And the joy and the excitement and the enthusiasm that he had on his face when he scored his try in the 49th minute was just heartwarming. It just put a massive smile on your own face. That meant so much to him. Yeah, he had a really unreal performance. Um, I think that was the momentum shift and yeah. really could have been mentioned with the um, key moments because he looked like he was getting tackled for all money and just burst through that um, Muir had attempt like a little cannonball and did a great job to plant it down um, amidst all the excitement given he wasn't even supposed to be starting about six hours before the match. So yeah, he, he did a great job, but I think also the unsung hero of that Reds pack, just Angus Scott Young, mm. he seemed to be making every important tackle that needed to be made. Every time they looked like there was going to be a, a little break from the Brumbies, he was the one that made those tackles. And I know he's probably going to lose that Jersey to Liam Wright um, either next match or definitely in the final, but God, he's done a good job of filling in for him. I agree. Mitch? Um, what was the question again? I was thinking about the, the fluke thing. <laughs> Honorable mentions. <laughs> Honorable mentions. Okay. I just wanted to say um, around the fluke situation. So the first sort of 20 minutes of the game, I was quite worried for the Queensland Reds because it was really evident that they were missing having Hunter Paisami out there. And the Red the uh, Brumbies were making some pretty easy meters and they just kind of looked the Reds looked like they were taking their time to adjust to that new centre combination. Um, but then, yeah, that try in the 49th minute really did shift that momentum back in their way and they started to look really strong again. So, yeah, it was really great to see um, Fluke step up and, and feel the shoes, that, the big shoes that Hunter Baisami left for him. But I'm going to have to go with Taniel Tupo. Again, I've said Boring. this, I think, the last four weeks. <laughs> um, but you can't go past him. He's put in yeah. another 80... 80 minute performance. He's making runs in the middle of the field. He's going 110% in the 75th minute. Like he's 135 kilos. This guy just does not stop. He's just, he's doing things on a rugby field that a prop should not be able to do. And it's just, he gets better and better every week. And the fact that he's, he's winning penalties in the scrums, he's scoring tries out wide. He's, you know, knocking players out of the breakdown. He just, He's got such a great skill set and he's he's doing he's we don't really have anyone else in world rugby that we can kind of compare him to. He's such a unique player. Um, and it's so great to see him play just from a world rugby perspective. He's so exciting to watch. Um, and yeah, you just can't not give him a shout out every time he plays. He's just brilliant. I think the closest you come on an international scale is maybe Ty Furlong playing for um island yeah he has that same dynamism as a ball player and he's very strong in a scrum as well so i think that's probably the closest the closest yeah um but he's he's a freak of a player as well so being mm-hmm. compared to ty furlong is nothing uh is a compliment in and of itself yeah uh, any any quick final comments rev before we move on to the locker room well who oh, was your you didn't give yours ando yeah i started it fluke oh sorry to me? sorry <laughs> Uh, Rev, anything you want to add on before we move on? I was just going to mention with um, Tupo, I, th- I think one of the things that he's now really good at is obviously everyone knows he's an attacking threat and 
Um, Mitch brought up how good he is just with those big carries. But the thing I liked most was I, I saw through the stats, it looked like he made a lot more meters, but he only made three meters off his eight runs. But the, the stat that jumped out was he beat six defenders despite only running three meters. So even though these teams are stopping him, he's able to just attract so many defenders. He creates space for other people. Yeah, And I think that's the thing that the Reds are really being able to utilize is because they've got him up front, they can rely on him to make a carry. And then there's just so much space for all those exciting outside backs to use. So I think if the Wallabies can utilize that aspect of his gameplay, they're going to be really, really trying to just attack from all fronts, I think. Mitch, anything you want to add before we move on? How good was that palm? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Simone went flying. Oh, I think uh, they've had the Wallabies camp this week. I think he'd be apologizing for that. Uh, just, you know, making sure he doesn't feel too bad about that, making the highlights real. There is a question around legalities of it, though. I don't really want to be that guy, but. No, you don't seen... be that guy. If it was an elbow, <laughs> sure. But if it's an open palm, whatever. Okay. All right. No, that's fine. No, it's great. And as Mitch said, yeah, he makes those, he busts those tackles, but he's also got that silky offload to be able to set up the bloke next to him as well. So I think we should probably oh. just get off the Taniela train because we can be here all night just saying how good he is. No, no, no. Final stop. Final stop. Okay. Um, you remember how he got ca- pulled up for that obstruction in the start uh, of the second half? Yeah. Okay. So number one, that was an obstruction. Okay. Fertuaka runs an inside line, but it doesn't block the covering defender whatsoever. No. Okay. It has no tangible impact on the game. But did you see after the whistle has been curled how t- uh, Nella got himself through the contact and did the uh, one handed offload out through the back of the tackle? <laughs> no. I didn't oh, see that. It was so good. And I just wish that had gone on. Anyway, that's the uh, final stop on the Nella bandwagon. So <laughs> let's now jump through. And I think we have the listener questions. So why don't we move on to that? Should we just jump straight into it? Yeah, let's go. All right. So the first listener question that we have is from our good friend, Nick Wasiliev. So he asks, how do we think the Rebels and Force will go against Kiwi opposition? The Reds and the Brumbies look to be both set to be competitive, but many folks think they'll fall short. Given their competitiveness compared to the Kiwi comp, I reckon they have the potential to surprise a few teams. So let's start off with you, Rev. How do you think the Rebels and the Force will go against Kiwi opposition? I think they're really going to struggle. I think they've done a pretty good job of playing a defensive game and taking the penalties against um, the Australian teams, but they don't really have, I don't think the defensive prowess to stop all the attacking threats New Zealand sides have, because as good as the Reds and Brumbies have been, some of those New Zealand sides just have even bigger, faster people that they can utilize. So my big challenge for them would be if they can win one match, uh, that'd be good. Um, two would be great, but I think it's going to be a real challenge for them. They'd be probably trying to earmark maybe one of the younger teams or the sides that are a bit unsettled, like the Highlanders or Hurricanes. Yep. Okay. Mitch, any quick th- thoughts? Yeah, I um, I agree with what Rev's saying. I just don't see them at this point being able to cause an upset unless there's something that in the game that goes massively in their, their favor. So a massive injury to a, a key player or a red card or something of that um that stance i mean they've been good but not great um they the force have done well to get their two victories but they haven't convincingly beat the australian teams that they've come up against and the rebels as we said previously they're sort of on a downward spiral at the moment they're kind of they're losing faith in their game plan it seems so when they really get under the pump by the kiwi teams who can score from anywhere and from from anything I think they're going to struggle. Okay. 
On the same track, we have a question here from John Cooper. And how will the Reds and Brumbies go against the top Kiwi teams? And am I the only one that can see a noticeable pass accuracy difference between Aussie and Kiwi teams? Now, Rev, I might start with you on this one because I know that you've watched more of the Kiwi matches than we have. Yeah, the New Zealand sides have done a bit of a different approach. I actually think the Australian sides will match up pretty well um, in some of these aspects. The passing's a little bit crisper. And I think that's probably one of the things that they really do well. Aaron Smith in particular does a great job at the Highlanders and Bryn Hall for the Crusaders. Um, they're just straight to the men. I noticed mm. Nick White and Tate McDermott, they do a little bit of crabbing. They like to take a few steps and yeah. they often pass um, straight to the uh, fly half or you know inside runner as opposed to just in front of them. So yep. Yep. that'd be probably the one area they might need to adjust slightly. But I've seen enough from the Reds and Brumbies to think that they're going to be um, competitive enough. The big issue is... I think the other teams have that they don't is that they've got the bench that can come on and still be quite impactful. Like if you've got a Sarah Uru or a Liam Wright, Philippa Dagunu, like any of those players coming off the bench, you can still inject all that pace and energy in the last 20 minutes, which is what you need against the Kiwi sides. And I just think that's probably the thing that'll be stopping um, some of the other teams in the comp. Great. Um, Kurt Vesper, do you boys think James O'Connor would make a good Wallaby captain? Personally, I think his maturing and composure is something we could do with, something that I thought I would never say. Mitch? I, yeah, I do. And this week goes to show it remarkably well. Uh, the two victories that the Reds have gotten over the Brumbies this week, uh, sorry, not this week, this, this Super Rugby AU competition, James O'Connor has been so integral in all of those. He's so poised and not flustered by the situation um, that I've, I could definitely see that transitioning into a Wallabies captaincy very, very well. While Michael Hooper is a great leader and a good um, captain, he doesn't manage the referees well but he can also get a little bit overawed by the situation as well. And I think that just comes from his position as a flanker, that he's going, going, going all the time. And he's always consistently in the breakdown or consistently moving and doing things where James O'Connor at 10 has the ability to sort of interject himself in and out of the game where he needs to. He can step away and let some of the other players um, drive the back line a little bit, um, which I think is what that calming presence is allowing him to do. So it would be a different type of Wallaby captain. And this year without Michael Hooper necessarily being around, I think it would be a good opportunity to see um, how it would go. But if we are looking at another captain at the moment for the Wallabies, James O'Connor is at the top of my list. I think what that would also offer is a break from Michael Hooper and an opportunity to see Hooper playing without the pressure of being captain as well, but also a potential transitionary period if Fraser McWright continues his upward trend, then a potential opportunity to not have the issue of your incumbent seven who is getting pressured for his position also being the captain. I would rather the battle between Hooper and McWright be done based upon their on the field ability and not because Hooper is the incumbent captain. What if we shift Hooper to six? What's the new combination? Too small. I'm just saying, what's the, the what's the name? The 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 white, the hoop, right? The hoop, right? (laughs) Something like that. Something like that. But yeah, I just, I want it to be based on their on field performance rather than Hooper being the old captain. Now, 
Final question for the locker room, and I'm going to direct this one to Rev to kick off with. Now, it's a bit of a detailed one, so please hear me out. And for everybody, we're about an hour or so into the pod, and it's going to be the first time we actually mention the Waratahs in any depth. So the who? I think we've done <laughs> Sorry, I who? think we've done pretty darn well. Can you explain so, to me, Ando, who this oh, team you're talking about is? is uh, the best team in the competition, the New South Wales Waratahs. We have the largest number after our name on the table. Unfortunately, <laughs> it has a negative in front of it, but that's, that's besides the point. Um, okay, so this is from Krishan Casanada. Do the Waratahs kick the ball away too much? It seems any time the backs get the ball in their half, they almost always kick it away as a first response and very rarely back themselves to run the ball up, even when the game is lost and there's nothing to lose. The kicks seem aimless and a reflex action, almost like the Tars have no confidence to run the ball unless it's in the opposition 22. With decent threats in Noonga Nituase, Maddox and Ram from the back, it seems a waste to give it back, especially when most of the Waratahs' good patches this season have come from broken play. What are your thoughts? This one was the most interesting question, I thought, just because it required a bit of research. Um, I had noticed a trend um, of a lot of kicking, but I did notice that James Ram had been kicking a lot and hadn't been running much. And I know he's got a bit of a cannon, but you want your wingers to be running the ball. But interestingly, um, the Waratahs have not had a single match this year where they've kicked the ball more than the opposition. So I do think Mm -hmm. the comment is a little bit um, unfounded in the sense that even though they might be not kicking that well, every team they versus actually kicked the ball more times than them in every match. Um, It is just that James Ram is kicking it a lot from the back and it looks like it's not super effective. And Will Harrison's, you know, going for a few of those little chips in the hope that something will come, you know, because they're getting spanked. But realistically, the pattern they form now with the um, new center combination of Fichetti and Parisi, I think that's a real no-nonsense, not a lot of kicking um, and just a nice running play. So all I'd be trying to do is, um, you know, the, the question is great. If we can get Nwankanitawasi and Maddox on those wings or in the fullback channels and actually contesting those kicks, you're really set. Um, but if anything, the Waratahs might need to kick a little bit more. Harrison is a good kicker. He can, you know, place kick obviously very well, but he's got a really tidy little chip or grubber that he could implement. And I actually want to see them kick a bit more if they're going to try and get a few wins against the Rebels and Force. Yeah, I think people, a lot of people decry box kicking as this horrible Northern Hemisphere innovation, which has no place in the game. And I just fundamentally disagree with it. Mm. It's actually a really fantastic way of trying to get field possession in a manner in which you can somewhat reliably contest for the ball. Actually, no, you can reliably contest for the ball. It's just uncertain if you're going to get a good outcome from it. But I just think we need to do that more, particularly when Noanganitawase, Maddox, and Maddox particularly, are both really good in the air. They're both tall, fairly strong figures. So getting them up in the air is a great idea. Uh, Mitch, anything you want to throw into this one before we finish up? Yeah, I think I um, I kind of agree where uh, where Krishan's coming from in that So the Rev's shown the stats that we're not kicking more than our position, but I think we're kicking aimlessly. And that was one of the things that you and I, Ando, mentioned Mm. when we were out at um, ANZ watching them play the Reds, that we would kick the ball, but there would be no runners, not even one player. So the player who's kicked the ball would kick it and then back back. If it was Ram or Maddox, they'd put the bomb up, but they wouldn't chase it through themselves or have a player coming through on the inside to contest it. So it was aimless kicking and it was kicking away possession and there was no... Um, pressure put on the the player that received it and they were giving the Reds back three so much time and space to look at options and to to prepare to counter attack whereas we weren't doing that and 
as Rev said before, Will Harrison is very good at kicking. I would also like to see him kick a little bit more and maybe just a little bit more tactically. We haven't gone for a lot of 50-22s. I think we've got one so far this season. And there has been times where we've been at the games and we can see that there's a space open there, but they don't go for it. So um, for me, I'd like to see to see them kick with more purpose or just kick more contestingly so that they actually have the chance of regathering the ball. They're not just kicking away the, the possession aimlessly. Great. All right. On that insightful commentary about a team that does not exist, let's move on to our round eight previews. All right. Round eight was this weekend. We're looking at round nine coming up next week. So the first game of the round sees the Western Force hosting the Waratahs on Saturday night. Endo, which way are you seeing this game going? Uh, I am hopeful for a Waratahs win. I'm hopeful because we do have a couple of players back. So we should have Lockie Swinton back in the starting team from what I've heard on the grapevine. Um, but uh, I just, it's super hard to figure out how it's going to go. So I think home ground advantage, Reds uh, force on the back of a win against the, um, against the Rebels. I think it's going to be the Rebels get up. Uh, force really? get up by force. Yeah, Rebels. Yeah, that's what I meant. I was going to say the Rebels <laughs> reckon, are going to get up. That's going to be an interesting yep, yep. outcome. I think the force will be getting up. Uh, won't be by March, by about seven. Seven. Okay. Yeah, look, I, um, I'll i go with mine first and then we'll throw to Rev. Um, I... I have questions around this one for the Waratahs. They put in a really good performance last week against the Brumbies, uh, week before. Yeah, last week for where we sit now um, against the Brumbies. But And it seems like they've been training well in the bye um, this week, but we don't really know how they've been going. Some players released to shoot shield clubs to play over the weekend. So some players have been given some game time. Now there's a, four of our guys in the Wallabies camp. I don't know if that's going to have any effect either. But the thing for me is the Waratahs now are really kind of playing for nothing. Now, there is statistically a chance to make the finals, but they need to win every game by, you know, a, a bonus point margin. And I just don't know if they're really setting their sights on that. The force, on the other hand, are in the box seat to really take third. So they're at they're at home against the Waratahs. They have the opportunity to push for a finals appearance. I think they're going to be up for it. So I'm going to go with the force, but I'm going to go by three. Tiles by four. They're doing it. Hey, <laughs> you can come back. Yeah, <laughs> look, the Reds are on by, so Tars are my—they're my second team. Um, I want them to do well, and I think they showed enough against the Brumbies in their last game. I think they had a real bit of camaraderie building because they had the bye week. They had their—I um, don't know if you call it their their function where they had all the, um, I guess, older members and some of the you know club people come together and had their luncheon. Um, I, I think they're just going to be really building off the confidence of what was. Easily their best game. Uh, Captain Gordon's back. I'm happy to back them, and I think it'll be tight regardless, but they've still got a lot to prove. They need to finish the AU season with a win, and I think they'll look at this as one of their best chances. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is their chance, really. <laughs> this is their chance. So, uh, By how much, Rev? Oh, you, you, said said, four. you said four, didn't four. you? Four, yep. yeah. I popped it in there. Good man. All right. Game two is played on Sunday. First Sunday game of the year. Um, Rebels hosting the Brumbies down in Melbourne at Amy Park. Uh, we'll go with you first, Rev. How do you see this one going? I think the Brumbies are going to really try and bounce back from this. I know the game doesn't really have any value to them. Um, they've already locked in the second spot. They already know they're going to have to play the final. They could use this as a chance to play some of their um, you know, squad members or a few of the players off the bench. 
Um, like it would be nice to see Lonigan get a start and uh, Kinzel just in case anything happens to the starters. Even then, I still think they're going to win. Um, I'd be back in the Brumbies by about 11 for this one. Nice. Ando? If you look at the last 10 results, did you know that the Rebels have won six of them? That wow. really surprised me. The Rebels have won six of the last 10 games. Uh, they've won four at home, two away. The Brumbies have won four at home and none away. So in the last 10 games, the Brumbies have not beaten them in Melbourne, which is fascinating to me. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, that being said, I still think the Brumbies are going to win. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm a history man who's ignoring the history. Uh, but I, again, don't think it's going to be particularly close. Just, uh, I think it will be particularly close because the Rebels have the capacity to draw people into that bar fight, like I said. So, again, I'm going to go Brumbies by seven. Okay. Well, I'm going to buck the trend here, and I'm going to go for the Rebels. Um, I think the Brumbies, whilst putting in a good performance this week, didn't put in a good performance last week. So there's some questions around their ability to travel in this competition. They've played most of their games this year at home, um, and that has been a big de- determining factor in, in getting some victories for them. Um, I I think the re- if, if we look at the Rebels... Um, making the finals, this is going to be basically the second place playoff or the the third place playoff who goes in the semifinal, I guess. Is that what they're calling it? The semifinal. Um, so the Rebels are going to be up for this because they want to be able to beat the Brumbies so that they can say we can do it again. And they're playing them at home. If they make the semifinals, they won't be playing them at Melbourne. It will be in Canberra. So I just think they got so close last time. I think that they're really going to be up for it. And as both of you mentioned previously, the Brumbies don't really have anything here on the line. They may put out an experienced side, which might end up trip being a bit of a trip up for them when the Rebels are wanting to get this victory. So I'm going to go Rebels. I'm only going to go by three. Um, and I'm hoping, again, that it goes to Golden Point because we haven't seen it this year and it would be great to see a Golden try. All right. I like the sounds of that, mate. So it has to be five, doesn't it? As I said last yeah. time, it has to be five. Yep. Not three, because it'd be tied at full time. So, yeah, I'll go Rebels by five then. Love it. All right, New Zealand across the ditch. Um, game one, I think this is played on Friday night. Highlanders are hosting the Blues. How do we think this one's going to go, gentlemen? Let's start with Rev. He knows far more about New Zealand rugby than we do. <laughs> I think uh, the Blues are still really quite gutted about the slip-up they had, because they were yeah. expected to finish top two for the comp. They're still second, but it's really tight at the moment. So, I think... You know, they've got a settled side. They're probably they're quite rested from the bye. They'll come back and uh, win this one, I would think, by about uh, 12 points. Nice. Basically, I and just do. always pick the Crusaders and the Blues to so put me down for the Blues. <laughs> Are you even going to watch this one, Andrew? Uh, look, I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of the New Zealand comp. Um, just being completely honest, I don't have the time. Um, so I watch some of the... Ri- I, w- I always watch the highlights packages um, yeah. and I watch a mini where I can. Those minis I, are great. How yeah, good are they? I just don't have time to sit down and watch the full games. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, I'm going to go with the Highlanders in this one. I just think they played so well against the Crusaders in Christchurch and able to beat them. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, sorry. I, I thought you were changing. On my end, it, I saw the, the things change and I thought that, <laughs> that was um, you saying... Uh, anyway, um, Highlanders, yeah. Aaron Smith's doing really well this year. He's just a class above everyone else yet again. And I I think they've got another upset in them. So I'm going for the underdog. I just love an underdog. So I'll go for the Highlanders. 
Good. And then Chiefs versus Crusaders. I can just say that Mitch and I are both choosing the Crusaders. Rev, who are you going for? Yeah, Crusaders as well. Yep, easy. And do you want to add a sentence or two to that? Uh, I think they snuck their win against the Hurricanes last week and went to extra time. Um, both Kiwi games had extra time, which was nice for them for a change. That was their first lot, and they got two in the same weekend. Um, but the Crusaders, they're well below their standards. They lost with a record loss to the Highlanders. They, you know, really should have beat that Hurricanes side by a lot more, I think. Um, they got a bit of a point to prove. And while the Chiefs are coming into form, um, the Crusaders, they know they're going to need to bounce back. Um, so I think they will. I, I would be agreeing with that one. I think, Mitch, is there anything else we need to cover or are we finished for this episode? No, I think we're done. Um, yeah, Crusaders as well. You can't really, you can't go against the Crusaders at the moment, but then again, the Highlanders beat them. So mm. we might be up for another upset. The Chiefs have snuck some really good upsets this year and, and, some, and made it quite difficult to tip that New Zealand comp. So they're shifting things up on the table, but yeah, you can't really go past the Crusaders. So have to stick with them other than that it's been a good episode thanks for joining us rev absolute pleasure thanks so much for having me on um any chance to talk rugby is great and i think um still probably not known by the masses just yet but we'll be trying to combine for something even bigger in the near future really try and get this whole pro aussie rugby thing going um because it's just had a real positive energy around it this year and podcasts like pick and drive rugby um are part of making that happen so thanks for having me awesome Absolute awesome. pleasure, mate. One more time, where can people find you and your podcast? Uh, you can find us at Rugby Fixation. Um, we're doing a weekly podcast as well. Um, should be having one come out tomorrow night, I'd imagine. Um, but yeah, any chance to talk about rugby, honestly, if, if you're bored and you have a Twitter account, hop on there because I'll be talking about it. <laughs> Very exciting. Thank you so much for coming on, Rev. Mitch, thank you for a wonderful episode and everybody have a great week. We'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.